Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. We've got the whole crew together as we cover Ohio State with our instant analysis from Ohio State. There's something that doesn't feel right. Unbelievable effort from him today. He's got to make plays, and the linebacker group has got to play better. This was not a comfortable game by any stretch of the imagination. He seems to have the durability. He certainly has the toughness. It is quarterback Justin Fields. I think this is kind of an interesting spot for him to be drafted. There has never been a situation quite like this before. At midcourt, inside it, at the buzzer, got it! selection Sunday is finally here. Is EJ Liddell going to crack the first team all Big Ten? I'm not trying to start a quarterback controversy, but I don't think he can be the guy. It's obvious that he's got this opportunity. This is the question on a lot of people's minds here. Welcome to Buckeye Breakdown. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Building the Buckeyes. I'm your host, Andrew Lynn, and I'm once again joined by SI All-American Director of Recruiting, John Garcia. How's it going, John? It's going well, Andrew. Just a uh, great time of year, right? College football, spring games, and obviously high school spring football right around the corner. So good time to get on the road and uh, see the next wave. Right. And it's obviously been quite a busy spring here in Columbus as well with, you know, the Buckeyes landing several commitments in the last week or so. And really that group is headlined by American Heritage running back Mark Fletcher. I know living down in Florida, you've seen him quite a bit. So what do you think that the Buckeyes are getting in Fletcher? This will be a fun back for, for Buckeye fans to, to keep an eye on. Built big, like Trey Sermon, uh, who I know really emerged there at the tail end of, of his Buckeye career, uh, but probably a little bit more decisive than Trey was coming out of high school in Georgia. He's another Southern kid. Uh, Trey was a little bit more balanced, I would say. Fletcher, a little bit more old school, right? One cut and go, a big physical runner, a developmental pass catcher, but he's shown some signs. You know, we've seen a little bit uh, recently of, of him playing in space, using his hands, uh, and spatial awareness. But really, the bread and butter with Mark is certainly running the football, coming downhill, very comfortable behind his pads. He, he's relatively subtle um, in the quickness department. You know, he can make you miss in the hole uh, or down the field, but, but he'd prefer to run by you or run through you. Uh, and I think with his size, there's a, a misconception that he's more of a, a lumper than, than a guy who's going to, run away from defensive backs but when he gets in the open field uh, he does a lot of damage uh so it's not as as flashy as a smaller back but it's it's relatively the same production uh and obviously playing at american heritage is about as good as you can get nationally from a competitive standpoint you know he's playing for a state championship team against you know fellow power five and fbs recruits uh, basically week in week out you know that they opened the year with img last year so Fletcher flashing against a team like that says plenty about his ability, a roster full of college players. So a uh, big fan of his. Uh, I think the fit makes a lot of sense. You know, I think he's built like a, a conventional Big Ten running back, uh, but he's got an edge to him. Uh, and I think he, he's a developmental pass catcher, which is what you want to see uh, when it comes to third down ability. So huge fan of this get and, and the latest, you know, Buckeye from, from Broward County, which has been really good to, to that program for a long time. 
Yeah, I'm glad that you had mentioned that about him being a, a more of a Big Ten running back. Because if you look at his final four schools, there was obviously the hometown Miami. Then he had Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. And, you know, I think he was very aware of what kind of running back he was. So it was kind of cool to see him, you know, at that young age to be able to recognize that and say, hey, I know exactly where I'm going to fit and then do that. And obviously, like, if you look at last year, American Heritage actually lost their starting quarterback for a time. And they had a five-star wide receiver, Brandon Innes, end up being the quarterback. And I think that that maybe, you know, maybe hurt his production a little bit because they became a bit more one-dimensional. So I think that, you know, heading into his senior year, you're really going to see exactly the type of running back that he is. Yeah, Blake Murphy's back. Um, He actually, I just saw him quarterback at a camp at Under Armour, and he won won the accuracy challenge. So he's back and healthy. So I know Brandon Innes is really happy with that. Uh, Santana Fleming, the other receivers they got going at Heritage. But, yeah, that should open things up more for Mark Fletcher because what, once it is transferred to Heritage, you, you said, okay, defenses have to respect Brandon Ennis, arguably the best receiver in the country. So Mark Fletcher's going to go crazy. And then, you know, Blake Murphy gets hurt, I think, in the second game. So basically right after the IMG game, he gets hurt and, and Ennis has to play quarterback. So it's a totally different approach to what they did offensively. And I absolutely know that that stunted Mark Fletcher's stats because now defenses could just pack the box because they knew Brandon Innes was going to run or he was going to hand it to Fletcher. So, so they're really excited about what 2022 looks like and Fletcher getting his commitment done before that point can allow him to kind of go all in on reminding people of his talent as a senior. And I think he'll be uh, everything that we think, you know, he's possible, you know, his ceiling, He'll, he'll look like that as a senior this fall, in my opinion. I think it benefited Ohio State tremendously, too, in the time that he wanted to make his decision because they're, you know, entering a cycle where they want to take two running backs this year. And, you know, getting that first guy is just as important as, you know, maybe filling out and finding the second one. And really the top target at that position for Ohio State is Lehigh Senior's Richard Young, who some believe is, is probably the best running back in the class this year, if not maybe, you know, any running back nationally, period. So what do you think that Ohio State's chances are of pulling that one off, you know, getting young in the fold as well? And who do you think is maybe the biggest threat in his recruitment? I'll start with the last part, Andrew. I think Alabama's absolutely the biggest threat in the Richard Young recruitment because they're, they're similar, right? Similar styles in terms of how these two programs recruit, similar profiles and perceptions, especially down in the state of Florida where each program has been really consistent in plucking great talent. Uh, but with Richard Young, I mean, he's – He's similar to Fletcher. I mean, very decisive runner, another north-south guy, another developmental pass catcher. So um, I, I think we, in this business, you know, we, we build these like fantasy football lineups and, and you always want to have people that complement one another, but you also want people who are similar and can fill that no-nonsense type of role. And, and both Fletcher and Young, I would say nationally, Andrew, are probably the two most college looking running backs that that I've scouted in person where you're like this kid's in high school you say that for both of them every time you see them um so it's interesting that they're both very similar and Ohio State is still coveting each uh at the same time and I think both kids are you know relatively aware of each other and competition in general and, and I don't think either would be phased by the other jumping on board with the Buckeyes I mean you can't be an elite player in South Florida and be looking over your shoulder. And in Young's case, you can't be considered arguably the the best back in the country and be looking over your shoulder. So whether it's Ohio State, Bama, any of these schools that that Young is looking at, I don't see competition being 
a detractor. If, if anything, I see that being a motivating factor to potentially jump in. Um, but they do, they really don't complement each other athletically, which is really interesting, but I think that's okay. You usually, um, you know, want to build classes together. Uh, and I think, you know, two backs who can set the tone offensively is, is again, it really feels like a big 10 style. Uh, and going back to Fletcher, I don't even think Miami would have been the anomaly if they hadn't changed their coaching staff in December either. So I think it would have been an all big 10 battle for Fletcher uh, if he was committing in November or December. So, you know, he understands that. And I think Young is, is well aware of his style as well. I mean, he's looking SEC Big Ten uh, very much for the fits uh, for him uh, or, or teams that want to establish the line of scrimmage. I mean, some of the outliers for him are like Oregon, maybe a USC that wants to, you know, counter the, their passing perception with a good running back. So I think Young, like Fletcher, is very aware of how he fits in schematically at some of these schools. And I think that's why it's, it's some of the same overlapping programs that, that was looking at Fletcher uh, before he committed to OSU. I think you really made a good point when you say, you know, we, we kind of treat it from the outside as a, um, a fantasy football kind of thing. You know, you want the, the big tough between the tackles running back and then maybe the guy who is outside, you know, can kind of shake people and things like that. And that's not necessarily what schools themselves look to do because, you know, you can maybe get those players, one cycle, maybe it's very strong toward the in-between-the-tackles guy. And then the next cycle, you know, you kind of have to use those in, in complementary ways. Yeah. And then, look, this, I'm not saying that either guy can't make big plays. Richard Young is certainly a bit twitchier than Fletcher at this stage. So, uh, you know, we, we, we also unfairly box in running backs when we call them downhill or one-cut guys. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you can't score – you know, with the long ball. So I don't want to, you know, create that box with, with this Ohio State target, uh, you know, report. But, you know, I do think that, you know, they, they are more similar than they are different in their stylings. Uh, and that's okay, especially when it's a mature, big, physical style like both of these guys exhibit. Really, you know, if, if you think about it, you kind of want these kids to come in at the, at the same time and compete and the best guy win. And the, those are always good competitions to have. And I think that these are the type of players, too, that, that we'll look at it and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just as good, if not better than this other guy. I'm going to get on campus and prove it, and then he'll be the one to figure out what he has to do. And I think that maybe that's a good culture to have, and that's something we see at Alabama, and that's why Alabama is so successful. And I think you know, Ohio State's getting to that point as well where you know, they, can, they can string that consistency together. You know, along those lines, I guess we're going to make this really a Florida-specific podcast today because Ohio State picked up a pair of commitments on Sunday from cornerback Dijon Johnson and, and wide receiver Bryson Rogers. So what are your thoughts on those pickups? I mean, I know that they're not really the highest rated players, but I also get the sense that, you know, they might be flying a bit under the radar nationally. Well, look, I live in Tampa and they're both Tampa guys. Uh, and no disrespect to any other outlets. I think I'm the only national analyst that lives in Tampa. Uh, so I'm pretty familiar with, with this group. Uh, our rankings will come out in the summer and they will be properly adjusted. But look, these are great, great players who happen to each break out in 2021 so in terms of being on the national radar as freshmen or sophomores like a Brandon Ennis like a Carnell Tate you know that they didn't have that at that wind at their back per se but both of them broke out against really good Tampa competition in 2021 and were sort of dominant in the process so um, I think if, if you start with Johnson you know cornerback is always a, a position where you want to see the next evolution, right? You, you want to recruit the, 
the modern corner. And I think he fits a lot of that 6'1", 185 pounds or so. He can really run, particularly in the straight line department, but he's physical. Uh, that's what I love about his game. He is ready to compete at the line of scrimmage. He can support you in the run. He can reroute wide receivers um, in the stem of their route. But he's also 6'1 with incredible length and really good ball skills. Uh, his instincts are there as well. Had several pick sixes last year at Tampa Wharton, which is a school that really has been kind of on the back burner relative to some others in the area. So he really got an opportunity to compete against uh, teams where, where they were the underdog and they were favored. And so he made plays against state champions like Tampa Jesuit or, or state finalists like Tampa Bay tech week in week out. Um, you know, and I think that's, that speaks to the overall rise of talent in the Tampa area, but individually for Johnson, it, it, it reflects how quickly one can rise at that position when you start making big time plays against those type of teams. And he did it every single week uh, to the point where Ohio state and others made him a national recruit in very short order. And then with Rogers, you know, I think that again, smaller school uh, he's at uh, Wiregrass ranch, which is not in the city of Tampa. So the competition level isn't quite the same. And, and it means for recruiters and those of us in our business, a little harder to get to, a little bit more outside the box, but unbelievable numbers uh, for Rodgers in 2021. Just an explosive kid. I mean, you, you watch this tape, he's catching digs and slants, making a guy miss, and it's off to the races. And he's winning all of those races, by the way. So uh, doing that at 6-1, is really impressive. Um, the production is was gaudy. I think nearly 20 touchdowns when he was really – the focal point of the offense. You know, they had a good quarterback, Rocco Beck, who signed with Iowa State. It was him and Rodgers. I mean, everybody knew it going into the games. And on third downs, that's where, where Rocco was looking. And, and when Wiregrass Ranch was rolling, that's the connection that, that got them rolling. And, and to do that as the focal point when everyone knows it is really impressive. You know, I think that's what separates good from great at that wide receiver position because you you do have to make men miss you do have to catch balls in traffic uh, and show what you can do after the catch so I think that's where Bryson really shines I think he could be a, a guy you you run screens with and, and let him go after the catch but he's also shown the beginning elements of polish in terms of his route construction you know he can stem a defensive back and win leverage um, and I really like what he's become as an intermediate level route runner uh, because the dig routes, the curls, the outs, the deep outs, uh, the double moves all look really good. And we've seen strong progression from him in that department from a year to year comparison. And that's what you want, you know, and, and look, he's a kid who moved in, I believe from Maryland ahead of last year. So it's not like he was well on everyone's radar when he got to Florida, but he assimilated from a competitive standpoint immediately. And those are traits that you want at positions that demand that competitive spirit, like a pass rusher, like a wide receiver, like a cornerback. And I think both of these new Buckeyes have that edge to them, which is, which is really invaluable in terms of them having a bit of a target on their back as a senior, and then obviously transitioning into a big time program at the next level. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is going to fit in really well with you because a year ago we were talking and it was about Kai Stokes' commitment. You know, that kind of came out of out of nowhere and. You know, he really blew up on the recruiting trail after his junior tape hit. Like Ohio State saw it, offered five days later, he's committed. Alabama, Georgia, all those schools got involved, you know, after yep. that. And it was obviously too late. And I, I kind of get the similarities between, I know, one place safety and one place cornerback. But with Johnson, I kind of get the same thing. You know, he's a kid who's just flown under the radar, but has all of the tools to be successful at the next level. And I think that, you know, kind of is going to have that chip on his shoulder to prove that. No, that's a great comp. I mean, they're both longer, rangy, more raw DBs with ball skills than guys who are super technically sound. Um, you know, and I think that's okay at that position. Kai Stokes, you know, has never was never able to focus on playing safety. He's playing receiver. He's playing corner. He's running around all over the field. And Johnson has been kind of this you have this side of the field corner for a long time. So, you know, they play a lot of zone coverage. Um, you know, they're, they're not as good of a high school team as, as Arwood was with Kai Stokes. So they're trailing a little bit more uh, against really good competition. So you have to sit back a little bit. Uh, and, and I think the tech, the technique can suffer in some of those instances. So I think that's where we look for consistency with Johnson. Like he needs to polish up the technique, um, but but he's got the physical traits to do it. And he's starting to have the tangible flash plays to support it further, like we saw as a junior with Kai Stokes, when that rangy athleticism with the ball skills all started to combine with the instincts. And he started to make a ton of plays that that obviously got him on on the national radar. So, yeah, you want kids to to, to turn the corner as a junior and from a program standpoint, you want to be fans of a program who trusts their evaluations, not the schools that piggyback. And, and look, there's a correlation between the schools that trust their evals and the schools that don't. Because when you talk to those coaches, Andrew, they're like, hey, who else is offered him? But when you talk to the coaches at the big time schools, they're like, I don't, I don't give a damn who's offered him. We're going to offer him. We like him. And that's it. That's the end of the evaluation. So I think there's a correlation. Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. Clemson, those are the teams that trust their evaluations. And, and obviously, there's a pretty strong on-field correlation with consistency and success thereafter. Well, I think you made an excellent point right there as well with, with just the fact that Brian Hartline, Ohio State's wide receivers coach, is able to identify um, players like uh, Bryson Rogers. Obviously, you know, if you look at national um, recruiting rankings, maybe he's quite low. But if you look at Hartline's track record for identifying those prospects and developing developing them. You know, you have Jackson Smith and Jigba. He was pretty far down there. You have Keon Grace. He was pretty far down there. So then, you know, for them to come in and be those players who are making impacts right away, you know that you have to trust Hartline's eye for talent and then his ability to then develop them. That's a good point. Really good point. And I think when you know, we talk about our own evaluations in our business, we talk about data points, right? How many collective data points can you put together to have a good feel on how good a prospect is and how good he can be, right? Well, 
my lesson or my, my, my lesson, my advice that I give to high school kids and, and everyone else in this business is like, everything's a data point. Every single thing is a data point. So it would be naive to overlook certain recruiters, certain evaluators and the positions that they have a known track record with. Larry Johnson with pass rushers, Ryan Hartline with wide receivers, um, Wisconsin with linebackers, Iowa with defensive backs. Why would we ignore Alabama with running backs, as you mentioned earlier? Why would we ignore the evaluators doing it while we are trying to make our own evaluation? If everything's a data point, all of those things need to be considered, again, especially especially when there's such a tangibly strong track record with some of these coaches at particular positions. You know, it's, it would be foolish to think as an evaluator that you have this absolute judgment and that you shouldn't consider other people's opinion. You know, I think any teacher, anybody who's trying to learn a craft, you should always be working to get better at it. That's why we do have to keep an eye on who Brian Hartline really wants because it matters. It's shown that that stuff matters. So I, I don't know why sometimes in this industry, we, we try to pretend like we're either above it or that we have to ignore it. Both of those are, are incredibly naive takes in my opinion. Well, I really think that that's an interesting part of the fact that Ohio State took Rodgers maybe ahead of a, a Tate or an Ennis, you know, maybe they're not um, at that point where they want to make a decision, but I know that Ohio State kind of got a little bit of feedback from fans like, hey, why are we taking this, this kid who's maybe not as well-known nationally before these other other players. But I think that that just really speaks to, you know, Ohio State identifying him, saying we want him, and it doesn't matter what else we get because if those players want to come here, they're still going to come here and compete. And I think that that's all part of a bigger picture that maybe fans don't necessarily understand. So really, like, along those lines, I guess right now is a perfect transition to kind of talk about Tate and Ennis as well. And, you know, I think that Ohio State is in a, in a good spot with Ennis, especially over, you know, the last couple months, just how it's trended, how he's been to campus, the relationship that he's building with with Heartline and and a South Florida guy, uh, Keenan Bailey, who's an assistant on, on the on the staff. And I think that that's trending in a positive direction, but maybe not the same way with Tate, where, you know, Tennessee's kind of gotten involved. There's the NIL collective, all that kind of stuff. And and really, what do you think of both of those recruitments? Yeah, I think you're you're right on it in terms of the trend department. I think Ennis is going to wind up as a true blue blood battle, not not to alliterate on purpose, but I think it's going to be Miami locally. I think Ohio State is absolutely in it. I think Alabama's absolutely in it. And, and we know USC is in it with Lincoln Riley because he's already committed to him once. So I think really those are the four I look at with, with Brandon Ennis. Um, and we know he's going to take his time, right? So we know the timeline. With Carnell Tate, I think, one, the timeline could be moving a little bit to sooner rather than later. And the players are a little bit more abstract, right? It is Notre Dame, Tennessee, Ohio State, and he's at LSU this weekend for an official visit. It's probably those four, even though if you look at his top five, he's got Bama in there. He's got Georgia in there as well. I'm not sure those schools are are you know, going all in on, on the Cardinal Tate at this moment. So to me, it's, it's really interesting, um, but they're very different on the field. You know, I think Brandon Ennis is your, your high floor uh, wide receiver as popular a recruit as there's been in this class of 2023. He's as polished as it gets, as experienced as it gets any setting you watch him and you are, you are wowed at, at kind of the professional way 
that he carries himself when it comes to running routes, uh, being physical at the catch point, um, and, and winning thereafter. I mean, he's, he's kind of checked every box that you look for. Um, probably a little bit more explosive down the field than Carnell Tate. But Carnell's so tall and smooth that you kind of understand why he gets a lot of notoriety as one of the best receivers in the country as well. He was the best offensive player in IMG Academy last year, which often says a lot about who you are as, as a prospect, um, but just not as technically sound or advanced as Brandon Innes at this same stage. And he's much more slender. Ennis is built physically almost like a running back, like 190 pounds, 6'1 or so. Tate probably 6'2, maybe 175, 180. So he's a little bit longer and leaner than Ennis, uh, which, which does help him play the catch point uh, and, and use uh, his vertical ability uh, to win at the apex. So two different style of wide receivers, and, and to me, two different recruitments where I think Tate's ends uh, on the front end where Ennis is going to take it maybe all the way to December and that early signing period. But I think Ohio State's going to stay in it for each of them all the way through. But but it's certainly trending a little bit more uh, in us than Tate at this point, although there's, there's still some recruiting to go down between both of them. There are two really interesting things about the recruitment that, that have really just kind of caught my eye over the last couple of months. And one, it's that that they seem to want to play together in, in college. I know a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're on the same South Florida Express seven-on-seven team. And, you know, naturally you kind of want to just gravitate toward people who you know. I mean, uh, Cedric Hawkins, the safety commit, is in, on that team as well. So there, there's a lot of familiarity there. But then at the same time, you know, if you look at their individual recruitments, you know, Ennis is a South Florida kid, but his recruitment is nothing like a typical South Florida kid who, you know, ends up committing early, to a northern school, it takes a ton of visits, all those kind of things. And you're never quite sure that they're really fully committed. And I think he's taking his time and it's kind of interesting and, and, and cool to see him be very aware of that, just that perception that comes with South Florida recruits and, and doing something different. And then Tate, on the other hand, you know, I know he's a, a Chicago kid who is playing at IMG, but he seems to be enjoying maybe the process a little bit more than than an Ennis is, you know, he, he's kind of trended toward Notre Dame for a little bit, kind of trended toward Ohio state for a little bit and then Tennessee now. And it's like, you know, if he, if he ends his recruitment now, you know, I fully expect him to take more visits beyond that. So. Yeah, that's, that is really interesting. They do play together, which I would bet this moment, but if they do play together, Andrew, that's good news for Ohio state. That's really one of the few schools that own the two of them. And like you mentioned, there's, there's, a bit of a South Florida Express to OSU pipeline that is kind of building here. Uh, and I think that could be uh, something that fits in well for Ohio State if they were able to grab the two, because um, like we mentioned, you know, Ennis isn't looking at Notre Dame or Tennessee the same way. Um, and Tate isn't really looking at Alabama or USC the same way. So I, I do think that if they do overlap, I mean, Ohio State is, is the most likely school if, if they're, if they become a true, package deal but that is obviously rare in recruiting because there are just different recruits uh they have different styles different demeanors and, and obviously they're operating with different circumstances as they make this decision definitely well i really appreciate you taking the time as always john you, you know we'll have to definitely do this again here in the near future sounds good my man thanks for having me. for sure for sil american director of recruiting john garcia i'm andrew lynn i hope you come back next time